All right, we are, before we begin the lesson that I passed out to you, I wanted to finish up a couple points from last week's outline uh, as we begin to do the overview of the life of David. And we're going to spend the balance of this season uh, studying David, who was one of the great patriarchs in the Bible. God used in a mighty way, not only as a great king and as a great soldier, but as a prophet, um, and who would ultimately be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so what we studied last week is how Saul, shortly after he was anointed as king, literally one chapter after the anointing takes place, uh, within that period of time, Saul begins to disobey God. And it becomes a pattern of his life, that he's more concerned about what people think, what is the will of the people as opposed to what is the will of God? And so the first thing that he did that was outside the will of God was that he decided to do his own ritual sacrifice instead of allowing the priest to do it. And that was a very serious affront to God because God had made it clear from the beginning of time that he called the Jewish people that only the priests could do the sacrifice. Only the priest could set it up and do the sacrifice. And God had during the time of Moses, struck down some of the high priests who had gone in with, uh, in a way that was not appropriate under the rules that God had set forth. Struck them down dead. Struck them down dead. And so now you see Saul deciding, well, uh, we need to have a sacrifice. Samuel was supposed to be here uh, on the seventh day. He hasn't come yet. The people are anxious. They're starting to leave. We're, we face the Philistines. I will do uh, the ritual sacrifice. Well, a huge sin, a huge sin. And he's warned, he's warned by Samuel. He's warned by Samuel. Now, the second big sin was when Samuel had told Saul that you are to go out and destroy the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were evil people. Their evil was exhibited against the people of God early on from the moment that they left Egypt. Here they are, a nascent people, leaving Egypt, traveling. There's no soldiers yet. There's no trained army yet. They're leaving Egypt, and the Amalekites came down and, and struck them and hurt them and killed uh, many of them. And, and so as a result of this, God remembered the sin of the Amalekites. It was evil. They were evil in every way. And so God had told Saul, you are to go in to the Amalekite area, and you are to kill every living thing owned by the Amalekites, meaning every man, every woman, every child, all animals, all livestock are to be wiped out. Now, some of you are going, ooh, that's a bit serious. God, really? And yet, I want you to understand the sovereignty of God. This is why we will never truly understand the mind of God. God, in his sovereignty, looks and sees evil. He sees evil, in a way, perpetuating against, against his work. And God, in his time, can wipe out the entire population. I want you to see this. It's not, it's not the only time that God did this. He did it with Sodom and Gomorrah. He will do it from time to time. And it's the sovereignty of God. And so what you're going to see here as we study this is you're going to see that that Saul decides to reinterpret, reinterpret uh, what God's will was as he begins to execute the judgment of God on the Amalekite people. 
All right, so beginning with uh, chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one that Lord sent to anoint you king over his people, Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish the Amalekites, for they did to Israel when they laid them as they came, when they laid them as they came up from Egypt. Now, go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Is that pretty clear? I would say it's pretty clear. God, God outlines specifically what he has in mind. Verse 4. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telium, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, Go away, leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them, for you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites, all the way from Havilah to Shur, to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. How's that? So there it is, God. We're going to listen to you, but we're just going to slightly modify it. We're going to kill all the, the crappy things, all the things that aren't really very good, you know? All the things that are way down on the food chains. But the good things, the good stuff, oh, yeah. We're going to hold on to that. See, why? Because we'll use it to sacrifice to you, God, to show you how much we love you. We love you. You getting a picture here? Verse 10, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved. <laughs> God speaking like this to Samuel. Can you imagine? I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. By the way, do you think God was surprised? No. 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 All right? Just like he wasn't surprised when Judas betrayed Jesus. All right? It still doesn't mean that God is not grieved when he gives people opportunities and puts them in places, and yet they failed. They failed to arise to the higher call of their lives. So God is grieved with Saul, uh, even though he made him king. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. Samuel's the prophet of God. He speaks directly from God, but he's still a human being. He anointed Saul. He was there with Saul. And so I'm sure Samuel was taken aback that Saul had acted like this and that God is now unhappy with Saul. And so the prophet of God, even though he hears directly from God, is unhappy, is ill at ease, does not sleep right. I mean, think about this. Uh, as he understands the, God speaking to his heart about what's taking place. Verse 12, early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Lie. 
But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers, underline that. You understand? It's the soldiers. It's like what Flip Wilson used to say, remember? The devil made me do it. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, go and completely destroy these wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And the lesson here is when you were small in your own eyes. That's one of the first lessons we have today. God looks for humility. God looks for submission. When you humble yourself, when you submit to the will of God, God will use you. He will bless you. He will affirm you. He will lift you up. But when suddenly you become big in your own eyes, oh, yes. Oh, I have a great ministry. Oh, the kingdom of God depends on me. Thank you, God, for putting me in a place where I can be an important person in the kingdom of God. God despises those words. He despises those words. And what you see happen is God will take you out of the picture. He will take you out of the picture. It doesn't matter that a short time before he anointed Saul as king. It doesn't matter. That anointing doesn't say forever. Just because God anoints you, it doesn't mean it's there forever. It means it's at the, sur- at the pleasure of God. I'll tell you something. I'm very conscious of that myself in my own life, that God uses me to speak to people about him, to teach. But I'm conscious that this anointing that God has given me could be taken away from me. If I do not humble myself, submit myself to the will of God, if I start looking to take personal credit, lift myself up, believe my press notices, and then you want to know something? God God is not interested in this. He's not interested in, in your biography. Really. I mean, I hear so many good Christian people don't get that. You know, I mean, really, God is interested in your service to him, preferably anonymously. Verse 20, but I did obey the Lord. See, I mean, that's the thing about Saul. He lies. You understand? You see the pattern? When David was, was told that he was wrong, David immediately said, forgive me, God, I repent. But you don't see that with Saul. With Saul, you see excuses. I did obey. Bah. (laughs) Are you going to believe me or your lying ears? You understand? I mean, you see the man's heart. And God sees through the heart. I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites' lie and brought back Agag, their king. Why he did this is beyond me. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgad. Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight 
in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much in obeying the voice of the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now, I want to focus on these words because obedience is better than sacrifice. And let me give you an analog to today. I don't care if you go to church every day of the year. I don't care if you're there constantly. I don't want you to think that because you are observing religious uh, services, that 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 allows you to live the kind of life that is not in obedience to God. God does not care about your sacrifice as much as he cares about your willingness to obey him. All right? This is a big deal. This is a big deal. God is looking for obedience in our lives. And even though we come together here, and this pleases God when he sees this, if you leave here and you're not obeying God, in every way, as you understand what God wants you to do. You know the will of God. And instead, if you've compartmentalized your life, and I've seen so many Christians do that. Oh, yeah, Sunday, I am the devout, pious guy. On Monday, I'm golfing, and all of a sudden, words are coming out of my mouth that you can't believe. Conduct is coming out. I get in a car, and all of a sudden, it looks like Satan is driving the car. All right? All kinds of, of physical expressions are being given to other drivers. You know what I'm talking about. You understand what it is. Oh, what happened to the guy who was at church on Sunday? What happened to that guy? That guy has compartmentalized his life. He is not obeying God. He's interested strictly in the sacrificial aspect, looking like he's sitting there and doing the ritual sacrifices, and that is precisely what Saul was doing. Precisely. Now, these words are so powerful and poignant that Jesus will repeat them. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. And Jesus says this, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What does that mean? Jesus is reminding, using the same words that Samuel used, as given to him by God, that God sees the heart. God, God is not looking at your uh, outward, physical worship of God, the fact that you go to church, the fact that you, that you associate with Christians. God is looking to see your heart. Do you have a heart that follows God? Have you honored God? Are you submitting to God? Are you humble before God? Are you doing all these things that matter in the heart of God? He sees you. Or are you instead arrogant? 
proud, looking for a way to make excuses. And, and do you make excuses like Saul makes excuses? Do you do that? Do you find yourself when, you, when you're convicted? When you're convicted, do, instead of being convicted, do you say, well, you know, I'm a weak guy. I, I can't help it. I was born this way. My family wasn't a good, wasn't a good family. Some of us have been saying that for 85 years, you know? 85 years of using your family as an excuse. The only way that's going to end is when they put dirt on you. Then, then, then you won't use that excuse anymore. God doesn't care about the excuses. He doesn't care about the excuses. He cares about your heart. Here's a guy he made king. He made him king. And he pulled him down. He removed him when he saw that his heart was not right. That's what God looks at for us. That's the story of Saul, a man with all promise, a man with all kinds of promise. And Samuel is mourning this, absolutely mourning it, uh, as, he, as he recognized what's going on here. Uh, and you see, you see the picture. And, and so Samuel says to him, to, to Saul, he has rejected you as king. And then Saul said to Samuel, verse 24, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Now, I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Now, you may say when you read those words, well, come on, John, he's asking for forgiveness. No, he's not. The only reason that he's asked for forgiveness where it appears that he's asking for forgiveness, is that Samuel has just said, God has rejected you. You're not king anymore. Oh, please forgive me, God. Was it an act of forgiveness or penitence, or was it an act of sorrow that, I, that my kingship is being removed? God sees the heart, and that's exactly what it was. This wasn't an act of repentance. This was an act of sorrow. Uh, and, and so you see it, and God immediately tells you this. Verse 26, but Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. How do you like that? God sees the heart. doesn't matter what the words are. You could say whatever words you want to say. But the question is, is your heart right with God. That's the lesson today. That's the lesson about why Saul was struck down, removed as king. His heart was not in accord with the will of God. He listened to the people. He wanted popularity. He looked to be popular. What do the people say? What do the people want? God doesn't care about the people. And let me say this to you. If you're worried about what your neighbors think, all right, or what your friends think, about your service to God, then you're way out of line. Instead, you have to be the kind of man that says, I don't care what, what people say about me. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. If God tells me to go and, and visit these people, I'm going to go and visit these people. I'm going to go and be the hands and feet of God in everything that I do. And when I do it, I will do it with humility and submission. That's the equal part of this story. Not only serving God being obedient to God, but bowing in humility and submission, not lifting yourself up. Yes, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I aspire to greater service, God. Something that perhaps could get me more prominence. People need to know what I'm doing. It's important, God. It's for you. I'm doing it for you, God. 
but it would be good if people knew my name. It would be good well, for you, Lord. It's not me, but for you. I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't care if nobody ever knows your name. But I'm going to tell you something else. When you serve God in submission and humility, God lifts you up. You'll be astonished. God will lift you up. People will know what you're doing, even as you bow more. And if you're a godly man, you put your face in the dirt because you recognize, but for the grace of God, you could do nothing. Let me repeat that. Jesus said it. With me, you can do all things. Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And that's the lesson of this. That's the lesson of this today. That you recognize exactly what the power of God is in your life. You've submitted yourself. You've accepted God. You're serving God. Now the question is, God wants to use you. All right? As I say all the time, you're saved. All right? That, mean, that means you've walked into the gate. Now for the rest of your life, you've got a road in front of you that God wants to use. How powerful will you be in moving the kingdom of God for the Lord? How powerful will you be? Or will you be a person that merely sits there and doesn't look to serve, lifts your own self up, doesn't obey God. Because if you do, you'll go nowhere. You won't be used. God won't use you. He doesn't have any place. There's no place that I can find in the scripture that God used an arrogant man. I can't find it. No place. All right? And really what you see here with Saul is arrogance. And what you see when you compare him to David is exactly the opposite. You're going to see how a man like David, whose heart was for God whose heart burned for God, who when he sinned, and boy, did he sin. All right? Let me not, let's not paint a story that's not true. He sinned some whoppers of sin. But God forgave him because he came to God with a broken, penitent heart. He begged for forgiveness. He was heartbroken when he broke, when he, uh, broke God's heart. And when God sees that kind of heart, God honors that. And lifts him up. And you see what God did there. And you see here this whole, this whole lesson. So one of the things that we're going to see here as we study this is we're going to see that, uh, that God is now going to anoint David as king. You're done, Saul. That's it. That's it. By the way, you like the way God does it? The curtain comes down. But, 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 but. No, there's no buts. There's no second act. Your heart's not right. I can't use you. Now I'm going to anoint a 14-year-old shepherd. What? You're going to anoint a 14-year-old shepherd? A guy, a kid who's out there with, with sheep and animals? A kid? You're going to anoint him instead of me? It's God. Because he saw his heart. And we're going to study that. We're going to look at that. But one of the lessons that I want to focus on here is this. God will anoint David somewhere in the age of 13 or 14 when Samuel goes out there and Samuel himself, frankly, wouldn't have picked David, would have picked the other brothers who were just gigantic physical specimens. Yes, that's how a king should look. Look at that first older brother. Tall, strong, manly, in every way, the kind of person I would want as king. And God says, wrong. 
I don't pick the way you pick. See, you pick based on the outside. I pick based on the inside. And so here he does. He anoints David, and we're going to study that. We're going to study about that anointing. But one of the things that I want to focus on is this. David will wait 15 years to become king. 15 years. How do you like that? How do you like that? Now, this is a lesson for every one of you here who have been praying that God will use you in some way, in some ministry, in some efforts for the kingdom, and you have been waiting for God to show you his will. And I'm showing you a picture where one of the true great patriarchs in Israel, even after he is anointed, will wait 15 years. And here's the thing about God. God does this all the time. God typically allows years to go by before he culminates uh, his purpose in our lives. And I have some examples for that. Abraham waited 25 years for God's promise of a son. How do you like that? 25 years to fulfill his promise. Joseph waited 13 years while he was in prison and the trials of his life before he became effectively the prime minister of Egypt. Moses waited 40 years in the desert. 40 years in the desert before he was called, basically, to go back and bring the Jewish people out of captivity. 40 years tending sheep in the desert. 40 years in which he lost all the accoutrements of his education in Egypt. He couldn't even say a sentence without stuttering. Because God didn't care about those issues. God didn't care about his education. God cared about the fact, was he ready to serve me? And in order to do that, I have to sand you down. I have to sand you down. I have to show you that you, you are not the key person. I am the key person. You see this. And so David waited 15 years to become king. This is, this is unbelievable. And when you study the life of David, what you're going to see here is that these weren't very pleasant years. These were hard years. Saul tried to kill David for years. He pursued him. He went after him. David was a fugitive. How do you like that? What do you think that prayer is like? Oh, God, you anointed me as king, and now I'm a fugitive. What's going on? Because God is preparing David for greater service. God is preparing him. And, and it's amazing when you study this. I want you to read a couple of psalms on this. Look at Psalm 66. This is a psalm of David. Verse 8. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our back. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. How do you like those words? Those aren't very pleasant words, are they? You brought us to prison. You let people put burdens on us. All right? This is Psalm 66. I'm reading from verse 8 
to verse 12. You let men ride over our heads. Verse 12. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. In other words, the recognition that when we are the people of God, God will refine us. He will prepare us, even as we bow in humility, even as we bow in submission. So I want to say that to you today. That if you find yourself going through issues, you find yourself going through trials, you're a child of God. This doesn't happen to you by accident. What's happening to you is not like what's happening to people in the world. I told you that, that they get up in the morning and it's like being in a pinball machine. But not for you. You see, there's a plan in your life. God is, God is there. There's a plan. I want you also to look at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That's a verse that ought to go on your refrigerator. You're right. You want to see when you trust in the Lord? Yes, you're going to go through some hard times, but in the end you will soar like an eagle as you are, as God does with you, as he wants to do, as he, as he lifts you up. And so we receive, as we go through these trials, as we go through these years that we're waiting on God, in which we don't have clarity, but we still serve him. We don't understand everything precisely, but we walk. We, be, we bow in submission even as we wait, God, what's going on? Why aren't you doing this in my life? Why am I here? And you just bow, and God is not answering, but he looks to see your obedience as you're walking. And as you do that, God is pouring wisdom into your life. He keeps you in step with the timing of God. Let's understand what I just said. The timing of God. Really, think about it. If God called you to some, some purpose in the kingdom 20 years ago, how many of you would really be serving God? I'll answer for myself. No. No. Because I had a lot of self, a lot of me, a lot of I. And God waits. He waits as the years go by, as he begins to purpose in your heart and to take the me, the I, the arrogance away so that he can use you. Uh, and, and so he stretches us. He is stretching you in your faith. That's what God is doing. Now, there's a couple of great passages uh, that I want you to read as, as I bring this whole uh, lesson to, to the pointed conclusion that I want to do. Turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 21. Actually, we'll start with verse 19. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? But who are you, O oh man, to talk back to God? Please underline that. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some 
for common use. Let's understand what Paul is saying there, what God is saying there in these words. God decides what each one of us will be in the kingdom. He decides that at the moment that he creates you. It is his divine will. It's your call. And so here's the thing. When you bow to God in humility, when you submit to God in humility, at the end of the day, after all the testing, finally God brings you to the place where he wants you to be with the call that he wants on your life. And for you to say, oh, God, no, no, this is a mistake. I should have been a preacher. Why am I an usher? Why am I a greeter? I should be on the pulpit. You should hear me preach in my house. (laughs) And somehow, God has not designed you for that purpose. You understand? And so here you are, the creation, arguing with the creator about the very purpose that he's had for your life. This is significant. This is significant. I see this a lot in, in, in churches where, where people fail to recognize that God has slotted them. And here's the thing. When you bow in submission to God, when you accept the will of God in, in your life, when you say to God, I'll do what you want, want me to do, he lifts you up. Do you think, honestly, do you think when I was practicing law like 15 years ago, I said to myself, boy, I really want to preach? Uh, you know, I remember what it was like growing up in my father's house. We were poor. I slept in the kitchen till I was 18. I longed for those days. You know? I really, I, I mean, I really, I longed for those days. I remember that. Yeah, that's it. That was, those were good days, you know, uh, and, and not having any money and not being able to go on vacation and, and, and working from the time I was 18 years old, even as I was in college, is I, because my father had been called to serve God as a preacher. Do you honestly think I said, oh, God, please let me be a preacher? I'm ashamed to tell you, no, 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 no. I had zero desire. I would have done anything. I would have done anything but to do this, but to preach. Because first of all, I recognized I wasn't holy. I wasn't righteous. Not like somebody like my father. How could I get up and speak to other people when I knew what I had in my own life? I didn't want this. But here's what God does, you see. And I'm the perfect example. God takes somebody, even that recalcitrant person, who doesn't aspire for it. And God says, bow in submission. Bow in humility. Put your face in the dust. Put your face in the dust. And you ask God what he wants you to do. And finally he constrains you. And he squeezes you. And he pulls you. And he pushes you. Until finally, and God, some of us take longer. Some of us it takes a two by four. You understand, right? You've been there. Two by fours, all right, 12, 12, by, 12 by 12s. You know, you understand what it is. Some of us take longer and longer until finally, 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 when you get to that point, you say, all right, I can, I'll do it. Whatever you want, I'll do it. I'll do it. I may not like it, but if this is the will of your life, if this is the will for me, I'll do it. I mean, I've got to say it. That's, that's the essence of this lesson obedience and submission.
It's not about you aspiring, oh, yeah, oh, I want to be this. Rather, it's, God, what do you want me to be? What do you want me to be? I want you to turn to the last passage as we bring this to a conclusion, uh, Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, verse 9. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And I want you to, as you read this, to get the image in your mind of what God is showing here. All right? The image of God. Verse 9. Woe to him who quarrels with his maker. To him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say, he has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, what have you begotten? Or to his mother, what have you brought to birth? Look, this brings it to a poignant conclusion. Who are we to say to God what, he, what we are to be? God has created us. It's as if the lump of clay in the hands of God is God is molding, testing, pushing, forming 15, 20, 25 years, and all of a sudden the lump of clay says, I don't like the pot you made me. I want to be something fancier. I would like to have more elaborate arms. Something with a little color. Something more artistic. Not something for the kitchen. Right? Not something for the kitchen. And God says, I want to make a pot that I can use every day. I want to put a pot right there where that pot will serve my will. Where it will be there the way I want it to be. And what happens when you violate God's will, when you call this Saul, and instead of serving God, obediently bowing to him, and doing his will, when you, when you talk back, when you sit here and say, what are you making? God will drop the curtain. You won't be there. He won't use you. May that never happen to us. Let's close in prayer. Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us today, this inspiration from the life of David and the warning from the life of Saul. Father, let us constantly remember to bow in submission to you to remove our arrogance, understand that you are the creator and we are not. Help us, Lord, to accept your will in our life, to be what you want us to be as we draw closer to, the, to you, Lord. Protect our men, be with them this week, especially as we celebrate this great holiday of Thanksgiving and bring them back next Sunday, as we put next Monday, as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great holiday.